welcome back after a great Easter week last week. If you're online watching this morning, we know there's a bunch of you. I want to welcome you and uh, glad you're together with One Hope. Now we're going to keep rolling today because last week I started the series titled The Invitation. And if you were here or you watched or, or caught up with this, you know I kicked it off with the parable in Luke chapter 14. That's where we were. And, and in this parable, Jesus is having a meal. He's having a meal with the Jewish religious leaders. They're spending some time together. And it's not the greatest meal. If you remember that Jesus is not taking it easy on these Jewish leaders. Jesus is not going soft on them. He's essentially saying, hey, if you're going to keep going the way that you're going, you're going to miss the party. If you're going to keep believing in what you believe, if you're going to keep waiting for something other than Jesus, other than him, as he's saying there, he said, you're going to miss the, he calls it a feast, a banquet, the party that God had been preparing and planning and inviting them too. But if you're also here, you know I reminded you. We can look at these stories and we can point fingers. We can look at these stories and we can go, look at what they did. Look at how they're responding to Jesus. It's really good to, it's really easy to look from up top and be like, I can't believe they did this. But the reality is their story can be our story. In our life, their story can be our story. That God has been inviting us to a different kind of life. God has been inviting us to a life that changes every aspect of who we are. But it's on us. It's on us to say yes or no to this invitation. It's on us to, to say yes to, hey, God, I want what you sent for me in Jesus. It's on us to say yes to this invitation. It's always been in our hands. And so my prayer has been simply this. Would we be people unlike the people we saw in Luke chapter 14? Would we be people other than what we saw in Luke chapter 14 where they rejected and made excuses against that invitation? My prayer is that we would be people that always are looking to say yes. My prayer is that we're yes people. That God, whatever you want for me, whatever you want for us, I'm always a yes. But that conversation's not over. That conversation of the invitation is not over. It's what launched this idea. It was the whole party scene in Luke chapter 14 was just the, the opening to get this conversation going because it's not over. Because in relation to what Jesus was inviting us to, it wasn't a, um, hey, believe in me, and we're done. Believe in me, and that's it. No, in relation to what Jesus was inviting us to, it was, hey, I'm inviting you for a transformation of your life. Because there's so much more to be experienced than you even realize. There's so many deep and, 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 and wide just kind of roads of, hey, God, you need to walk down these roads in ways you never had before. I want you to come to something that you never thought you would experience. There's more. 
but we have to be open to this. I don't know where you sit today. I don't know if we're open to the more that Jesus has. I think many people are open to the initial yes, but I'm not sure about the rest. This is what I want to talk about this morning, that I think we're really good at the initial yes, but I'm not sure about the rest, almost what comes after the yes, the more, what is actually going on at this party, this banquet, this feast that Jesus has come and invited us to. This is what I mean. I want you to think about it this way. Let's say you were invited and you said yes to a certain event, to, to a certain party. Who sets the agenda of that party? Picture yourself, you've RSVP'd, you're like, yes, I'm coming. The invitation has been kind of checked that box and you sent it back. I'm coming to it. Who sets the agenda to that? The hostess or the host, right? The one doing the invitation. They set the agenda. So when you go there, you play the games they play. Whether you like them or not, you play the games, right? Like you eat the food they provide. Hopefully, whether you like it or not, you eat the food, right? They set the agenda. You go along with the plan. This is the appropriate way to attend a party, right? Well, this is what I want us to understand. God is the one inviting us to what he has planned and prepared for us. But one of the things, get this, one of the things that we often get wrong with God is we say yes to his invitation, but we want to set the agenda. You, you get this? Have you ever been this person? We say yes to the invitation, but we want to set the agenda. Have you ever been that person in life? Just be honest with yourself. That God, I want to say yes to do, but I want to what? Do it my way. We can sometimes be like the person that shows up to the event, shows up to the party, and there's a table filled with food. There, there, maybe it's a meal is happening, or maybe it's just there's food out so you can just munch on it all day, but... We can sometimes be the person that goes to the host, to the hostess and goes, hey, do you have any pizza? you have any pizza? N no, this is what I, oh, it's okay. I'll order my own because this is really what I want. I know it's your party, but I'm going to order my own because this is really what I want. S stupid illustration, right? And hopefully you would never do that when you go to somebody's house. But don't we sometimes do this with God? But I want to make clear as we continue this, uh, this series that the invitation God has given us is to come and follow His agenda, not our own. It's almost like we need to just pound this into our lives. That God is the one that invites, and we get to respond with a yes or no. But if we respond with a yes, we're responding to his agenda and not our own. And 
Can you go with me that sometimes we're not great at this? Can you go with me that sometimes we fight back against this? Can you go with me that sometimes we are great at the initial yes, but we try to find ways to do our own thing? But God's like, no, it's my party. It's my party. And I'm setting the agenda, and I want you to follow me. But hear me, isn't this the greatest thing for us? Sometimes we forget this part of life. Sometimes we forget this part of God. It, it doesn't he want what's best for us? I mean, think about it this way. God is not a tyrant. I don't, I don't believe he is. Hopefully you don't either. If he truly loves us, he's the creator of all life. Isn't what he wants for us? the best thing for us? And maybe submitting to him is the most life-changing thing we could ever do, but in the best possible way. And maybe we are our own worst enemy. Maybe you are your own worst enemy. Then we fight back against the agenda that God has for our life. And maybe it's because we don't trust him as much as we think we do. And so that's where I want to push us. I want to push this. We're going to talk about this for the next several weeks. Is What's the agenda for God in your life? What's the agenda for God in my life? I think there's some universal things, and then he wants to apply in specific ways to you and I. So now you know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about God's agenda for your life, and it's the best thing for us. So with that being said, now I think the question has to be, okay, God, I've said yes to you. Let's just all agree. I said yes to you. What's the first thing on your agenda for me? That's the question. What's the first thing he has on his agenda for my life? What's he inviting us to? And this morning is going to be a simple sentence on the first, but I think you're going to realize maybe we've messed it up because I think he is inviting us. The very first thing, he's inviting us to be his disciple. Hear me, this isn't new. This isn't a new sentence to you, but I've got to start this out of after we say yes to Jesus, we believe in him, he died on the cross for us, everything we celebrate on Easter. The first thing he has on his agenda for my life is to become his disciple. And this seems obvious, yeah? This seems obvious because we've heard it over and over, but can I tell you at least from the seat I've sit from, sat from my personal experience and walking through with people in their lives, we're not great at this. This is something that is really tough. And I need you to understand this morning that first, that being a disciple of Jesus is different than believing in Jesus. This is where I want to go this morning. Help us understand. Being a disciple of Jesus is different than just believing in Jesus. All through Scripture, it talks about lots of people, even people who don't buy into what Jesus did, who Jesus was, they believe in Jesus. But being a disciple of Jesus is different than believing in Jesus. And the second thing, I don't mean to be offensive or in your face, maybe you've got this perfect, but I think we mess this disciple thing up right from the beginning. And one of the things that I see that is, is a storyline of people's lives is if we start out being a disciple of Jesus in the wrong way, it's hard to get back to where he wants us to be. And the problem is, is we go into this disciple thing 
in the wrong order. See, so often when we say yes to Jesus, we start that relationship in a way that we can't get back to what he intended. Let me explain. After someone gives their life to Jesus, one of the first things I see in their life is they say, Scott, let's say we're having a conversation. Scott, okay, I've said yes to Jesus. Now what does he want me to do for him? Okay, Scott, I've said yes to Jesus. What does he want from me now that I've said yes? And, And whenever I'm in this conversation, hear me. I think the intention is right. I think the heart is right. But I think just a little shift in the wrong direction can take us in a direction that we can never get back from. Being a disciple of Jesus always starts with experiencing Jesus in a personal way. Which means, I don't think Jesus wants something from us. I think he wants us. So go back to what I said. One of the first things that people say is, okay, Scott, I'm a Christian. What should I do now? And maybe you are a, like, you're a veteran Christian. Like, you've been doing this for a long time. I still need you to evaluate this. In your mind is the first thing that you go to in being a follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, is what am I doing for Jesus today? I think this is good, but I think we're missing out on something deep. Is that I don't think the first thing that Jesus wants from us is something done. I think he wants us. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about your life and how you approach God? Is God a personal God to you or is God someone that you do things for? Have you ever wrestled with this in your life? Because what I see is that through Jesus, God became personal in a way that humanity had never experienced before. He did this so he could be with us and we could be with him. There's a verse that a lot of people use on Easter. Sometimes Good Friday. And I was going to use it last week. But I thought, no, 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 I don't want to use it last week. I want to save it to this week because I think it gives an amazing picture of not only what God did for us, but what God wants for us. If you go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, There's this amazing part of of the death of Jesus. Now his words are really known, and this is a quick sentence, but I think maybe one of the most underrated sentences in all of the Bible. And maybe one of the most underrated life-changing sentences in all of the Bible. Because here we are, Matthew 27. Jesus is taking his last breath. I mean, this is a climactic moment in all of Scripture. Jesus is taking his last breath on the cross. And the moment he dies, verse 51, this is what Matthew says. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's it. Simple quick 
sentence. Almost if you don't know the context, it just seems a factual thing. This is what happened. But do you get what's going on here? Maybe you've been in the church for a while and you're like, yeah, I know what's going on, Scott, but maybe you've missed this before. This is a pivotal sentence in the history of humanity. One of my favorite sentences in all of Scripture. Because what's happening here is the temple was the place to be for Jewish people. We're going Old Testament. So this is pre-death and resurrection of Jesus. The temple was everything. And in the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God lived. People couldn't go to this place. There was a curtain that was, they think, 60 feet tall and four inches thick. People couldn't go in there. Once a year, one of the high priests, he would go in there and, 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 and he would sacrifice. He would have an offering for the forgiveness of sins for the people. But this place was so powerful, they would tie a rope around his waist. Why would they do that? Well, if that was too overwhelming, too powerful, something happened in there and he died, they would have to pull him out. They can't go in there because the presence of God could not be handled. And so picture this. It's God here, a four-inch thick curtain that they had, 60 feet tall, and you were over here. God was there and you were here. And then Jesus takes his last breath. And it say, says the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It's one of my favorite verses. Because in this moment, God says, I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. I don't want there to be a divide anymore. Jesus' death and resurrection changed everything about our relationship with God. Because being with God was no longer about a place, it was about a person. This is what changed. It was no longer about a place, it was about a person. And this to you, this is all you've known. This is all you've known. You've been in the temple, you didn't have this separation. You've known that God was available. Imagine being these people, as I always say, jump into the story. Jump in there and imagine all of a sudden a God that was distant. A God that you believed in and a God that you lived for and a God that was everything, but it was a distant God. All of a sudden the veil, the curtain is torn and you have access to God because it's no longer about a place, it's about a person. There are no longer barriers, no longer excuses people would have of not having a personal relationship with God. And so what I see in this is when I see Jesus inviting people to follow him, it was about relationship first and doing things second. I told you, I, I want this to start out right. And this morning, this message can either be extremely simple or it can just destroy every way that you've approached God. Because our problem with our relationship with God is, is that it's so much harder to be in relationship with Him than doing things for Him. Have you found that with your life? 
It's so much harder to be in a relationship with him than it is to do things for him because we are conditioned to be busy. We are conditioned to have expectations and and tasks on us. So we turn God into this. He ends up being another task. Ends up being another thing. Ends up being another list. Ends up being just something that we do. And it can end up not being personal with him, just doing things for him. And here's the problem and why I want to fight for this this morning. Why I think this is so important this morning is when our journey with Jesus starts with what are we going to do for him, our experience with Jesus is then built on performance and not relationship. How many right now are feeling a weight of like, is this me? Is my relationship with God built on performance or relationship? See, what happens then is as our life goes on, our relationship with Jesus doesn't get more personal because that's not the foundation. That's not what it's built on. Our relationship with Jesus doesn't get more personal, but our lists of do's and don'ts get exponentially longer. How many of you live under the weight of a list of do's and don'ts? Versus thriving in a relationship that's personal. And what happens in people's lives is it ends up destroying this concept of God in us. People walk away from this. Because to follow God is too much stress. It's too much weight. And it never seems like you can do enough where you just feel like you're pleasing or, or that, that you are right before God because the list never ends. It's like you have that friend or that boss. Do you have that friend or that boss? That person in your life where it feels like you can never do enough to get them to please you? That you please them, I mean? You, you never do enough where they're like, great, job. Have you ever had that before? How frustrating is it to have that person in your life? You know what this feels like. Well, my problem with how sometimes we've approached this God thing is that we've made God into that person. I'm sorry, but God is not that person. If the weight if, if God feels like a weight, then our picture of God is wrong. Because God is a God that frees us. God is a God that lifts the burdens. Scripture said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. This is Jesus. But when we turn God into a, a person that we always have a list of do's and don'ts to do, and we can never measure up, then God is a weight that ends up feeling so negative on our life. And maybe it's because we have started out this relationship in the wrong way, in the wrong order, with the wrong agenda. See, when Jesus invites people to follow him as a disciple, I believe the first item on his agenda is come be with me. That's the first thing. 
And I don't know what you've been taught, if you've been in the church for a long time or no time. I don't know what your view of this is, but when God says, you said yes to me, my first item on the agenda is I just want you to come be with me. Jesus wants to become a friend. Jesus wants to become a confidant. Jesus wants to become uh, personal and, and just intimate in every part of our lives. So this is my suggestion today. Here's my challenge for you today. If this is something that stirred something in you, will you this week take a challenge of, of, of having at least one moment a day that you spend with Jesus? One moment a day that you just stop and send with, spend with Jesus. That could be through prayer. And maybe for you, because the relationship isn't strong, maybe the prayer is just like, I don't know what to say, God. That's okay. When you don't have a relationship with someone and, and it's personal, you don't know what to say. And it's awkward. So just talk then. God, this is what I'm nervous about. God, this is what I'm scared about. God, this is what I'm angry about. God, this is what I'm happy about. God, this is what I'm looking forward to. Just talk. Because the great thing is I think God wants to talk back. Because he wants a relationship with you more than you want with him. Maybe it would be through reading scripture this week. You just stop and read because you're like, I just want to even see more about Jesus. And just go into the gospels. Just read. Spend time with God. Maybe it's through worship and you're just like, I need to spend in your experiential kind of person. You're like, I just need to worship and I want God to meet me there. I think he will. If you are not used to a consistent with Jesus, I would like you to try it this week. You're not used to just taking a moment with Jesus. I want you to try that this week. And if you need a resource as you leave today in either welcome centers, you can come by the church if you're online this morning. We've got the Becoming Guidebooks that we've written. They're a resource to help you walk through scripture, walk through prayer. We want to help you. Will you try to spend a moment with God once a day with the intention of seeking a relationship with him? Now, that's the first thing on the agenda, but we can't stop there. I wanted to hammer home this point because I think people get this part wrong. And if you got that part wrong, then everything's going to be wrong. But that's not the end of it. As you spend time with Jesus, you're going to start seeing things happen in your life. As you spend time with Jesus, you're going to start seeing things change in you. When you were young, did your mom or dad Say the phrase, you know, you become who you hang out with. When you're young, you keep hanging out with them, you're going to become like them. You ever hear this phrase? Like, they ever, like parents are like, basically the parent is saying they don't like that person, they want you to stop hanging out with them. That's basically what parents are saying. There's the, the leadership kind of guy, motivational speaker, Jim Rohn, once said, you are the average of the five people you spend most time with. You ever seen that, that uh, quote? You're the average of the five most people you spend your time with. Now, this isn't exact science, and I don't care to argue that point, but it's the point he's trying to make. Who you spend your most time with is who you'll become more like. Is that proven true in your life? Was your mom or dad right? 
who you spend the most time with is who you end up becoming more like. Your, your actions are shaped, your beliefs are shaped, your expectations for life are shaped, the motivations are shaped. It just happens. Have you noticed that about your life? Well, when Jesus invites the disciples to follow him, when for whoever it is, talk about Peter, get out of the boat, follow me. James, John, get, leave, come on, follow me. It didn't start with them doing things for him. It was just kind of come be with me. But as they spent their days with Jesus, their life incrementally changed incrementally changed. It wasn't just one big moment, it was consistent moments where something changed. Their mindsets changed. Their their values changed. Their beliefs changed, their reactions changed, their decisions changed, their goals, their dreams. Things began to change as they spend time with Jesus. And this one I'm going to say, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you'll see life change happen. That's why it starts with this deep-seated Jesus. When he calls us, it's about being with him, not doing for him. As you spend time with him, things change in your life. That's why Peter, in his, his book, 1 Peter, gives a picture of what this end game probably is going to be like. Kind of a, a higher calling that Peter has that he maybe should be our calling. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And he, he quotes scripture, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. He gives this like grander picture of who you're becoming. As you spend time with Jesus, our character needs to then develop into the likeness of Jesus. We can't stay the same. One of the worst things that can be said about you. Can, can I be critical for a second? Because I'm critical on myself. If I'm the same next year that I am, if I'm the same next year as I am today and becoming more like Jesus, there's something wrong with my life. I have to begin to question myself. Am I not spending enough time with Jesus which just begins to change my character and who I am? Because to be a disciple is what? To become like the one you're following. Yeah? To be a disciple is to become like the one that you're following. And that's why one of the main themes around here, one of the main things about One Hope is that we want to help you become more like Jesus every day. That's all those Becoming guidebooks I talked about. Becoming more like Jesus every day. Once we discover that Jesus is the one hope for everything, and that is our message to the world, he is the one hope for everything in life, then what needs to happen in our life is we need to start having that desire to become like the one who is our hope, the one we have given our life to. But hear me on this. If we skip the first step of spending time with Jesus, what often has happened in our life 
is that we strive to become more like Jesus, but what that ends up being is just surface level behavioral modification that actually ends up being a negative in our life because that is too heavy a weight to carry. As you spend time with God, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms and shapes us. When we take this on ourselves, it is too heavy of a burden and this is when people break down. No, the healthy way to go about this, to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, to be his disciple, is to spend time with Jesus. And throughout that, he just, he begins to change who we are from the inside out. Because who we spend our most time with is who we start becoming like. So Jesus is inviting, his first agenda to us, he's inviting us to be his disciple, which means... Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then the third thing, doing what Jesus did. Now, do you see, we eventually get to this place. We eventually get this place that I never said that being a disciple never meant we didn't do things for and with God. Now, when we're disciples of Jesus, we get an invite to be with him, become like him. But then here's an incredible invitation. We get to live life the way Jesus lived. This is part of the invitation. 1 John 2, 5, and 6. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's a, that's a pretty strong verse. Whoever claims to be in Jesus must live as Jesus did. Now, read through the Gospels. Watch how the relationship with the disciples grew. Everything started with them just being with him and watching him. Question after question. They had so much growing to go through in their life. But the more time they spent with Jesus, the more they were changed in the likeness of Jesus. And they all went on this journey together. It wasn't an overnight thing, but it did happen. Which, time out for a second. Kind of like a character thing for our church and for you. Knowing that the disciples had to walk through this progressively, spending time with and growing, this is why we shouldn't be harsh on people who just give their life to Jesus and they expect them to change overnight. Sometimes I think we're too harsh on people and now you're a Christian, so stop doing this. I know our motives. I know our motivations. I know our heart behind it. But maybe as a church, we graciously walk through with people because all these things happen over time. They're not just, let's change. It's, we're spending time with Jesus. He brings conviction. The Holy Spirit speaks into us, and this transformation happens. This is the process. But hear me, the disciples spent time with Jesus. Their character is changing. Who they are becoming changes. And then Jesus begins to release them into living a life that he lived. Luke 10, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where they were about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know what's happening here? Jesus has spent time with these people. These people have been growing. 
These people have been watching. These people have been learning. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to send you out because you're going to do works. Other parts of scripture says you're going to do greater things than I even did. I'm going to send you out. So they went and served the poor and the hurting. They even did miracles in people's lives just as they saw Jesus did. He empowered them. They were serving and giving to the world. They're preaching the word of God like things were happening. This is where God wants to get us. Through Jesus, this is where he wants to get us. This is the end game, to be a disciple. This is, I think, our calling as as a church. That we have to take the next step to not just be an initial yes, but then maybe a no to the rest. We want to be an initial yes, saying, God, we are a yes to what you are bringing into my life. We're a yes that we'll take the next step. We're a yes to becoming disciples, which means we have to spend time with Jesus. If you're not spending time with Jesus, this disciple thing is going to be tough. Because when we spend time with Jesus, we will start becoming more and more like him. Which will turn into doing a life of what Jesus actually did. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. The question is, do we say yes to this invite? Hear me on this. Where you're sitting today is not where you're supposed to stay. Hear me on this. Where you are sitting today, there is more that Jesus has for us. When I say becoming more like Jesus and living the life that Jesus lived, I don't want you to feel a weight of that. I want you to feel an excitement towards that. Imagine living a life like the one that changed everything. I think we lower the bar too much in our lives. When he says, come be my disciple, it's like we're going to spend time together. How beautiful is that? You're going to become more like me. How amazing is that? And you're going to do things that I did. Wow. You want to have purpose in your life. You want to have something you can be excited about why you're on this earth. We get to live life the way Jesus did. Now, the amazing part of all this is Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Look at the story of Jesus, the Gospels. Read it. When Jesus came to this earth, he never stopped spending time with his Father God. The character of Jesus was the character that he saw in his Father. And he was living out his calling that his Father gave him. And now we get to have that too. Will you take the invitation? Will you say yes to the invitation? I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Which means, starting today, I'm going to spend more time with Jesus. Which means today, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to change me, help me become more like Jesus today, and then I'm going to be determined as he changes my life. I'm going to live in the way that I see Scripture shows me that Jesus lived. That's your invitation today. It may seem like a big-time invitation. I would love for you to see it as an exciting invitation. Will you bow your heads with me today? I just want you to have a moment where you can kind of wrestle with this. 
Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you are becoming more like him every day? You want to be a disciple of Jesus where your life and what matters, your goals, your dreams, everything about it changes. Do you want that? Heavenly Father, we're your people today. Heavenly Father, we want to tell you today that we don't want to just say yes to the initial invitation of believing in you. No, God, we say yes to you today that we want to become, to um, have a personal relationship with you. Which helps us become more like you. Which will change how we live our lives. God, may we be a church God, may we be a people today who strive to think bigger and higher. God, help us today to have a deep desire in us to be your disciples. And at the end of the day, at the end of our life, we can say, we were trying to be more like our Savior, our one hope for everything. But God, may that start with our time, our life being spent with you. Our foundation is a deep relationship with the one that loves us and gave his life for us. And it's your name we pray.